Hey guys. Oh my goodness. So I believe I'm coming down with a cold. Happy November. If it's November when you're listening to this, but it's November when I recorded this. <laughs> so I am fully congested. I cannot wait to, you know, be able to breathe through my nose. I'm having sinus issues. And this is the first time I've been this sick in a while. Usually because I work in the hospitals, I take the um, flu shot. And so I haven't had a flu in years, but the last time I had one, <laughs> I was like, is this an 1882 um, flu? Is this like a, a 1765 flu? Like, I felt like it was going to really take me all the freaking way out. But I'm I'm really glad that obviously it didn't. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little under the weather right now. But, you know, that don't stop the show. Mama's bill still got to be paid. So um, if you have not registered for our first free webinar. We, I told you guys that I'm, I'm moving to a process where I'm doing more online coaching, more teaching and stuff. And so um, it's kind of like an informational session workshop where I, I it's very intimate where you get to work with me one-on-one and I want to have a lot of time or at least some time in there just to kind of speak to you guys to see where you need specific motivation, um, information, connections the gaps in your between your idea and creation and so um i'm holding this first informational session i don't even know what date i picked i believe it's november 14th but if i was you i wouldn't wait to get in because i I already have more than 50 percent of the registration done and I'm only taking a certain amount of people because I want to be able to have time to speak to everybody. And like, I mean, really speak to people. I'm going to probably try to do it via zoom. You don't have to be on camera if you don't want to, but you could actually speak to me and communicate with me because I I really want to be able to provide, you know, more resources to people of color who are looking to make 2020 and their vision for 2030 and beyond execute it and execute it perfectly. I feel like I'm in a great place in my business. You know, I do a lot being a, I'll say I'm a small business owner, a solopreneur, pretty much. I do have help this year. I don't have interns, which is a, a gift and a curse. And so, um, you know, hiring staff and speaking to support people so that I can get some of the support that I need to do. But looking over the goals that I have for the next three years of my business, I really feel like I'm going to be able to hit those metrics and do it all and keep my sanity. And so I want to be able to like at least have a cohort of people that we're kind of working on the same things together and kind of problem solving together. And if you would like to get into that, I suggest you join our mailing list. Or and even if you join the mailing list, like shoot me an email and say, hey, I want to, you know, join the program um, because it's, it's, it's going to close really soon. I only have a certain amount of seats because it's not going to be very long just because of restrictions and, you know, the way the technology works right now. And so, yeah, there's that. If you have not joined, join. If you want to join, hit me up, DM me, shoot me a message. Shout out to the people that have already been doing that. Shout out to the people who have already signed up. Shout out to the people that are actually going to make it. If I were you, I would mark it on your calendar and go live because 
there probably won't be a replay. I don't think I'm going to send out a replay for it. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going to do a free one again after this. So the goal was to to do it for free. I used to teach previously. I haven't taught in a long time. So I was like, let me just see if I could like have these chats and see what people want to learn and see how I can help them get started in their businesses. Cause I do so many different things and I have my hand in so many different pots. I just wanted to make sure that I would give people what they wanted. So it was basically like an informational session where I will be giving you guys concrete solutions where you will walk away from it either you know, able to implement in the business that you already have or directives to start the business that you want to start. Okay. And this is ideal, obviously for therapists or coaches, because that's what I do. I know that back and forth. And so if you haven't signed up, go ahead and do that now. So I don't think I put a, what would you do last week, but I had one prepared. So I'm going to give you guys one for this week. So if you listen to this podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast, I read the comments, <gasps> the horror. <laughs> um, and I answer everything by my, myself. So, you know, thank you guys for everybody who's given me a uh, wonderful rating on Apple podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen, Google Play, iHeartRadio. Please leave me reviews and comments because I read them. Now, one of them from... Not that long ago, the gentleman said, hey, sis, I love your show, but my brothers need love, too. And you guys do. Right. So the reason that I haven't done that is because I don't know a lot of black male clinicians to come on the show. And if you are a black male clinician and you are listening to the sound of my voice, please apply to be on the show. Send me a DM. Shoot me a message. Reply on my post when I'm asking for therapists. I'm looking for you guys and your community is looking for you. I don't cover a lot of male topics. I wish that I would. The reason that I don't is because I feel like women's explaining men's issues to men is really not what I really want to want to do. I really want, you know, there to be a space for men to have their own say. And so I would love to have a male clinician come on and talk about whatever they want to talk about on the show. And I want you guys, if you are males, to come on and let me know what you want to, us to cover on the show that we haven't already done. OK. All right. So that is the what would you do? What would you have me cover? Or what would you have me do <laughs> to uh, be a better advocate for men on the podcast platform? Because it is for all of us. It is not for women. But of course, I'm a woman. So I talk about my issue. And yeah. All right. OK. Today we have an interview with Dr. Holly Sawyer. Holly Sawyer is a PhD and she is a therapist at Life First Therapy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But we're going to get into that interview right now. Introduce yourself to the people. Hello, I am Dr. Holly Sawyer, clinical um, licensed professional counselor and certified addictions uh, counselor in the city of Philadelphia. Wow. Is that where you're from originally? No, I'm not. I, um, I'm originally from Chicago. I moved to Philly about almost six years ago. So, um, yeah, this is like a home away from home. You know, that's so, what's so ironic about that is that those are two cities I would relocate to. Like, Philly is on my really, really short list, and I'm kind of looking at Philly out the side of my eye for a number <laughs> of reasons. 
Um, but I went to Chicago. I went. I visited Chicago now twice, only twice in my my illustrious life. But the first time I went, I felt so at home. It it was it was it was definitely not what you see on the news. Yeah. Um, yep. And actually what happened was is I have a friend that lives in Chicago. I went to go visit him. He had been like, harassing me to come see him forever. And he's like the mayor of the of Chicago. I feel like everybody I know in Chicago is like super popping, though, and like very connected. I mean, I have like friends who are comedians who are like from Chicago. And then this guy, he's a sports agent. And then my friend, she she works like in government out there. Like I feel like everybody that I like I know personally and I, like never have having gone to Chicago before, but just knowing people who are from there were like super connected. And so I was like, if I'm gonna go to Chicago, I'm gonna go with somebody who's connected, not knowing that just like everybody I know is kind of on that level. I'm just like reflecting on that now. And we went to uh, what is it, Silverlines Block Party? Yeah. And I remember being like oh my God, everybody at this black party looked like they read a book. <laughs> like, it wasn't, it wasn't what I expected. Like, not even like a little book, but like a real big book. Like, you know? Well. Like, that's my metric for like how, how educated black people are. But it was like, I, and I remember asking my friend, I was like, well, how do you keep like the, the hood out of here? Because there's no way we could have a black party anywhere in New York, or even I would even dare to say in Philly, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. the hood knows about and they not coming to. And he was like, they're not going to come over here. And I was like, what? He was like, nah, they're not coming over here. And, like, he lives by, like, Obama's house and mm-hmm. like Farrakhan's house. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is popping. Like, I could do this. <laughs> well, you know, Chicago is the second city to New York. So I've never met a New Yorker ever. It is called second city. Yeah. So I've yeah. never met a New Yorker, and they go to Chicago, and they don't fall in love with it. I promise you. I mean, I've, I've gone to school with so many people from Brooklyn, from Harlem, from Queens, and they, I take them home, or they've gone, and they're like, oh my gosh, I felt like I didn't leave New York. I'm like, yeah, we are called second city for I a reason. I won't go that far. <laughs> I won't go that far. Definitely had contrast, but I think in terms of like a metropolitan city that like has you know a thriving black culture uh you know it, it kind of felt like what maybe it's because the area was that was that Hyde Park mm-hmm. that what it's called? yep uh, I bought a t-shirt that said I heart Hyde Park uh, so I'm trying <laughs> to remember the name but it 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 feels very it feels homely but it also feels kind of like you know buppy-ish okay like educated black like the conversations that I was having, it was like, I'm not like, what is this? So culturally, it just felt so rich and enriching. I was like, at this point in my life, I could definitely like do this. Yeah. It's so, it sucks that that's not the narrative that people have of like, of Chicago. And then my last day there, I didn't have a great time. So, like, I knew somebody who lived in Chicago and put an SOS out. Like, SOS, I'm in Chicago. I'm I'm having a bad time now. <laughs> I want to go home. And my friend was, like, you know, from Chicago. And I met her once. And she was, like, send me your address. I'm coming to get you. And when I tell you, she, she came to get got me. And we had a blast. 
like she, we had a blast. I met her one time in New York for like a business thing. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, are you in Chicago? She's like, I'm coming to get you right now. Just send me the address. And she, she did. So just kind of like that feeling of like love and like taking care of places I'm being taken care of. Super great. Yes. Anyway, shout out to Chicago. Good. We, that's not why we, why we came to talk today. <laughs> Okay, so you and I met on Instagram. Yes. Because you bought one of our Black Therapist Podcast t-shirts. Yes. And I wore it um, during a Black Mental Health documentary that should be released. I I put a couple of snippets on my Instagram page, but I'm actually wearing your shirt while I'm being a part of this Mental Health Roundtable with like three other therapists. Um, oh my God! I saw that. Yep, that's your shirt. <laughs> you know what? I, I saw it. I think I liked it, and I just went on with my day because you know. I, but I couldn't. I really couldn't see just the way it was shot. I couldn't see what you had on. Oh, but okay. Yeah, so that's that's how we we met, and then you hit me up. And you said I'm coming to New York for my book tour, and I was like, I'm gonna show up. And you did. And you were super. Yeah, you were super surprised. I was. I was. No, because you meet people on Instagram and, you know, people are like, oh, you know, they're going to come or they support you or whatever the case may be. But then for somebody to actually physically show up, show their support, be there live in the living color, give you all the love. I was just like so taken back. I was in tears when I left. Uh I really was. So um, the room felt good, though. No, it did. It really did. Yeah, it, it really did. It felt good. It really so did. So let's start there. Um, what made you become a therapist? Oh, wow. A couple of things, but um, mainly I went through um, depression prior to having my children and definitely post. And mm-hmm. I sought therapy um pre-getting married and having children and I had a white therapist and we just we just didn't click we just we clashed and for the life of me I'm like why can't I find a black therapist not that they didn't exist but I I just felt like they were not at my disposal when I lived in DC at the time and I was like this is crazy so then um once I got married and I had my son I had some postpartum depression and then he got diagnosed with autism at the age of four and I was trying to navigate yeah. that world. I went to therapy again, something I had another white therapist and I'm like, okay, this is killing me. So I could imagine what other moms who have children with special needs, um, that are black, if they're going to therapy, what does this look like? Are, are they even helped or understood culturally? Um, and I was like, I got to change the narrative with this. And that was upon many reasons, but that was my main reason. I wanted to represent um, as much as I could culturally the need to see a black female therapist. I kind of feel like that's the that's the narrative, too. I mean, I'm adding to that, but that, you know, a, a lot of therapists have their own mental struggles. And so mm-hmm. that's why we come to this work. I, I mean, I don't know if that's true per se. But I think I think a lot. Well, you know what? I mean, a lot of overweight people become fitness experts. So I guess it kind of is, you know, it's kind of in human nature to want to help other people with the thing that helped you. But um, 
how did how did you find that going to the white counselors at the time that you needed them like how did you find it it was helpful for the work that you needed to do on yourself it was helpful because I realized that therapy was something that is therapeutic and that it could work but I just needed the right therapist I realized that I was in the right space in the right room I just wasn't with the right therapist and I said in order for this to work and to change I need to find somebody that um, is a cultural fit for me and and competent I think that it, it needed to be a mix of both. You can be competent, you go to, you know, you can go to school, you get your degree, you get your hours, you know, but where's the cultural competence? And I felt that um, that was a big component that was missing. And so I said, you know what, when I become a therapist, I won't come in with the idea that just because you, um, meaning the client is black and female, that we that we're just going to automatically jail because even being black, we have our subcultures within our culture. So agreed. Mm-hmm. And so I had to also um, realize that as well. But I could at least identify with some level of oppression. I could at least identify with some level of trauma. I could at least identify again being black and female and what that looks like for you. Um, so yeah, that was a space I guess that I operated from as well. Yeah. Now you're you are a doctor. Mm-hmm. Could you tell them your credentials? Oh, yeah. So I have a doctorate in higher education. I've been in higher education for about 60 years, working mainly with, of course, adults who also have a lot or a, ver- a variety of mental illnesses. And so in a classroom, um, they would come to me with their issues and their problems. But as a professor, you couldn't really cross that line. It was like, hey, I'm just here to impart knowledge. If you have mental health issues, you just had to send them on wherever they needed to go. Um, and I got tired of that as well, because for me, I've always wanted to work with the whole person. I'm not a person that has to um, separate or compartmentalize the individual. You're a holistic person. So when you come in and you're trying to learn something and you're thinking about your mental health or how you're going to feed your kids or whatever else is going on, and then you come to the professor to explain to them, and I'm looking at you like my hands are tied. I got tired of that. It felt very inhumane. So that's on the back end as until also why I went back to earn, earn my license. So doctorate in higher ed, which I still teach, and create courses for. Um, I have my license um, in professional counseling with the state of Pennsylvania, and I'm also certified in addictions counseling because a lot of our people, brown and black, brown and black people, use substances to cope. Um, whether they are high function, low function, using substances for some people is just an easier route versus facing the issue in itself. Um, so I have about six years working in addictions, managing different um, drug and alcohol treatment facilities, um, and working with clients who are dual diagnosed between mental health and substance abuse. Okay. Tell them what dual diagnosis means, because I don't think people outside of us with sure. what you're talking <laughs> what you're talking about sure okay so a dual diagnosed person basically is someone who is um, suffering from substance abuse in addition to having a mental illness so for example it could be someone who may be addicted to crack cocaine who also suffers from schizophrenia and I often tell my clients like we, I mean, well, well, maybe you can tell me, but I feel like me as a clinician, if a client comes to me and they 
they tell me what substance they're using, I can usually tell what they're trying to treat. Mm. Would you find that that would be accurate? Because, um, like, a lot of people will treat, you know, I'm, a lot of cocaine use or drug use, period, it, it indicates some trauma. Mm-hmm. You know that. Um, if you're using cocaine, usually sometimes it's a, it's to counteract the symptoms of depression. A lot of people use, you know, marijuana to relax. So, I mean, I, I, I usually ask people what substances they're using in order to kind of get a, a gauge on, like, what they're trying to treat. Because sometimes when we're trying to do symptomology, we don't know exactly, like, what the situation is or, like, what symptoms they have. People come in and, and they don't, they know that they have problems, but they don't properly know how to articulate it. So, for me, I use the substances they're using as kind of like a guideline or uh I look at what we do as like law and order. We're basically <laughs> just trying to like solve the mystery of like what the underlying issues are. And so for me, sometimes figuring out what substances they're using feeds into that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. That's definitely an approach. Um, I have a client who uses marijuana because they refuse to use their Robutrin. And it's like, no, you should probably use your Robutrin if you know you were prescribed that instead of using the marijuana because you suffer from depression and the marijuana is not Mm going to help your depression. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, whoa, no, that's not the case. I'm like, well, do you find that you're out of your head after you smoke the marijuana? Mm -hmm. Because you're sitting in your thoughts and ruminating (laughs) and paranoid. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So you have intrusive thoughts and now you have more intrusive thoughts and more and more intrusive thoughts. Exactly. No, that's not a good, Mm -hmm. that's not a good look. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. So use the Wabutrin as it was prescribed. And for those who don't know what that is, you know, um, that's, you know, a, a medication that can be used. Yeah, but antidepressant, a medication that can be used mm-hmm. to treat um, depression. But a lot of times people are like, no, I just want to go smoke my weed, vape, and I'll be fine. And I'm like, mm, not with her depression, honey. But yeah. yeah. It's just escapism for a lot of people. Yes, it is. And the, and the convenience. Mm-hmm. Of access. Yep. You're right. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. So I work again with just professional women who I try to help them build um, intrapersonal skills to cope with different instances versus going over, like I said, the smoke of the marijuana or whatever their substance or drug of choice is as a coping skill versus really leaning upon themselves and building that resiliency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know it can be hard, and you're right. It's it's just so easy to just go light up. It is it's, it's it's easy. Yeah, I'm not mad at it. It's just not helpful. It 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 no. reminds me of my my aunt. My aunt has substance uses, and one day we were talking about, you know, drinking, and I was like, I I don't mind drinking. I t- absolutely don't like getting drunk. As I was like, it's literally like giving yourself a stomach ache. Like, why would I wanna? You know, mm-hmm. but double the stomach bug. Why would I want to do that to myself, like mm-hmm. purposefully? Like I'm at a, mm-hmm. I'm at an age now that I know how what my limit is. But like to purposefully get like smashed, why would I ever want to do that? And my right. my aunt was like, yeah, like you you would be drinking to get rid of your problems, and now you woke up with your problems and a hangover. 
And I was like, exactly. She's like, it's not, it's not escapism. It's just putting it off. Yep. That's it. Nothing is, <laughs> you're not escaping <laughs> from anything. And I was like, that's a good, oh. I mean, I guess that's a good way to look at it. But, you know, she's had, she's had her, she's had her bouts. So, I, you know, she would have a different perspective on it than I. Mm-hmm. Can, yeah. we, can, can we talk about what it's like to be the mom of a special needs child? Because sure. my nephew was diagnosed. I've, I've two family members who were, were diagnosed with autism, and I also have a background in education. So when my when the oldest family member's child was diagnosed, I was the lone person. First of all, I'm like the outcast in my family period i'm not even that if i was a black sheep that'd be fine but i'm like a purple sheep hot pink sheep (laughs) so (laughs) so for me i was like is nobody else gonna talk about the fact that this baby doesn't speak and so i kind of just wait wait waited one-on-one and i had a conversation with his mom and i was like i really think you should take him to a pediatrician Mm. because He's not verbal. And I got the cussing out of my life. There's nothing wrong with him. He's he, he don't got nothing to say. He wow. He speaks to me sometimes. He just don't know you. He's not talking to you. And I was like, okay, it's, that's, that's fine. But I'm just telling you out of love, like, I really think you need to take him to a pediatrician. Like, I'm not, that wasn't me telling you anything wrong. My nephew was, was diagnosed and with him, it's still a constant battle. My mother's raising my nephew. Okay. It's a constant battle to get my family to recognize that he needs special attention. Like my mother is one of those old school mothers. It's like, you don't go get welfare. You don't go get public assistance. You, so he, so I feel like the services that he's entitled to because of his diagnosis, he's not getting. And even though I've tried to guide them through the the IEP process and wow. you know get my brother to 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 you know be more supportive of his son and like be more active in, in certain things that are going on with their life, I've kind of threw my hands up mm. with it. Just me personally, right? Because fighting old black people is a hard job. Hello, that's a battle in <laughs> itself, girl. So. It's just kind of difficult to to put yourself in that that situation, um, and so I mean I know that a lot of parents who have newly diagnosed children they end up be going through denial, which is fine. I think we all kind of have that stage of grief because when your when your kid is sick in any respect, but but they have something that is going to pre- present a specific challenge to the dream and the narrative we as parents have when we have these children. Right, right, right. That's true. There's a mourning process that has to go th- we have to go through with the diagnosis and I feel like that goes it's similar to the process of like, you know, the stages of grief where you're de- you're de- in denial and then you're angry and then you're you know, you finally reach acceptance. So like what was what what was that like for you? So what you're describing is, I mean, dead on. Like, I, 
for you to only be the aunt, like that is crazy how you're describing it because it literally was like that. It was literally like a grieving process because you have a child and the thing that people would say, as long as they have 10 fingers, 10 toes, they can see they're healthy. But okay, my son had all of that, but he was autistic. So on the surface, you have all those things, but you can't see it, at least for my son, because he's high functioning. But then I started to notice things, and I was like, wait a minute, something is not right with my child. Um, and then you got people in your ear who are talking about it's the vaccinations and all these different theories as to why or how autism came to be. And so then once the diagnosis was, was official, I literally had to grieve the process of one, okay, my child is, he's, how can I say this? He's not your typical normal or the normal that doesn't come with autism. He's normal, but it's just normal on an autistic level. And that takes years to accept because you have to let go of, like you said, that narrative of having this quote unquote normal child and then adjusting your whole life because it comes with you relearning to adjust to what now this person needs in order for them to thrive as a child with autism. And that process was, it was very depressing. It was sometimes isolating because yeah. um, some people just don't get it and just don't understand. Some people want to, you know, um, describe or treat your child as if they have ADHD when it's like, no, my son is autistic. Um, I had to do a lot of fighting for specialists in his school because at the time, my son is now 12, about to be 13. So about eight, nine years ago, there were not a lot of ABA, which is applied behavioral analysis um, type therapists or um, counselors that will work with my son. I had to fight the state, um, the school, because he went to a charter school in order for them to get this ABA person to work with him one-on-one. I could not hold down a job because my son had behavioral issues. It was rough. And that wow. whole thing is about accepting where you are. You could be very angry, which is one of the stages of grief, before you even begin to accept it. You're like effing angry because now your whole life has just totally changed versus if he was a quote-unquote normal four-year-old that can just go to school, you know, assimilate and be in a homogeneous classroom and just be quote-unquote normal. No, your whole life now has to adjust and change. So yeah. I think when you can, when you start to work through that process, accept it and really kind of roll up your sleeves and get in it to say, okay, what does my child need to thrive on the spectrum then things, I won't say that they let up, but they do become a little bit easier as you start to really become your child's advocate. Because I knew what resources he needed, but it was up to me at the end of the day to go and get those things and make it happen. And for my own sanity, I had to go to therapy because it was just rough. That transition was rough. Hell yeah. And that's the part that I think is missing with, I'll say with both of my family members, um, with my cousin, I feel like her sister and her daughter has stepped up as much as they can to help lighten the load for 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 um him. And he used to be nonverbal, but now he he does speak. He don't speak when he don't feel like it, but 
he has something when he has something to say he talks um and and it's not a it's not a matter of i think a lot of people think that they're just like mutes like not everybody speaks but like he if he doesn't have anything to talk about he ain't talking to you but when he has something to say like it it's profound mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. she has she has some assistance my mother rarely has any and my mother has been raising children since she's been 15 years old. My mother was a teenage mom with my when she, my sister was born. And so to be raising children all these years, she's kind of tired, number one. She just, she has old school parenting thinking, number two, which is not what, you have to be a proactive parent if you have a child with special needs. And so yes, you not do. to say that she's not a good caregiver, I just don't feel like the extra support she needs he has she has the extra support that my nephew needs or they both need um does she have the the energy nor the current skill set to be able to do what she needs to do with him and so i try to empower his father to be more and more active but it's you kind of don't know what you don't know and you don't you you don't fix what you don't acknowledge and so for me, it's a very painful situation to watch him struggle. He's he's completely verbal. He he he's more os um I'm gonna say Aspergers <laughs> Aspergers than anything. Okay, okay. Um, so he's he's very verbal and he's I mean he's gorgeous. So I'm like when he gets older, these girls are gonna be on him. And y'all haven't really done y'all haven't done the the work necessary for him like he can really be thriving uh-huh. uh-huh and my fear for him is that he won't thrive i'm getting emotional but my fear for him is that he won't thrive just because people won't get out of their own way to mm-hmm. get the assistance that they need to get him the assistance that he needs mm-hmm. and you're correct and they are they are so unique um and it does seem like a lot going through but I love having in uh, my. I love that my son is on a spectrum because it makes me step up in a whole nother way, um, and in a different type of capacity than just like. And there's nothing against parents who don't have a child in, on a spectrum, but it just challenges me as a parent in a whole nother direction. Um, that. I'm thankful for um, it because it has taught and brought a lot out of me as well. And I love his normal um, because, again, I'm meeting him in his space and where he is. So it's a beautiful thing, you know, and I hope that your nephew can get the things that he needs. Yeah, because you got to be a warrior. I used to teach inclusion class and there were parents that I used to be like, yo, come up to the school kid like I work for the school I can't tell you that your kid isn't being pulled out for services Mm -hmm. but maybe you want to ask if your kid is being pulled out for services Mm -hmm. maybe you want to come up here maybe you want to review his IEP now Mm -hmm. maybe you want to be more interactive with their para like what are you doing so you have to be a warrior parent in, in, in this, I think this that this is where parenting goes hard in the paint. Yeah, you do. It really, really, it, it, and that's the thing. It shows you your resiliency, your toughness, and just where you are and how you show up. And I think again, for me, it just allowed me to be like, oh, if I can go hard and advocate for the paint for my son, what? 
it shows him how to also advocate for himself because at some point he's going to be an adult as well. We know yeah. that he's going to age out of services at some point. So how does he show up? So he's seeing me grinding and doing all these things to speak up for him. And I still go to the IEP meetings to this day. He'll even come. He'll have his feet in, his say so. Like, I include him. I don't, you know, try to hide from him what it is that he has because he knows that he's, quote, unquote, different from other kids. But we have these conversations because this is who he is. So I, um, I embrace it. He embraces it. And it's so many different growth first and things that it goes in and out as far as on the spectrum and things that he latches on to and doesn't no more have interest in. But I don't think that's any different from other kids. Um, again, it just comes with a different set of challenges. So I encourage any parent who um, has a child on the spectrum as burgers, just get, like you said, go hard in the paint for your kid because they are so unique. I just, I love them. I feel like God gave me my own unicorn. I'll be honest. and and my nephew he's probably around the same i think he's around the same age but i mean (laughs) recently someone told him he had asperger's i mean not asperger's that he had he was autistic so it became a thing in the family were like oh don't use the a word and i was like why so uh he he was at my son's graduation so he and i was driving in the car and so I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, what? I said, um, did somebody say that you were autistic? And he was like, yes. And I said, how did that make you feel? And he said, I didn't like it. I said, why? He said, because I didn't like it. I said, do you know what that means? He said, no. I said, do you, I said, you don't know what it means? He said, no. I said, what did you think they were calling you? And he said, I think they were saying that I was dumb. And I said, well, they were telling you that you were special. And that you're different. Yes, yes. And I said, well, I said, we're all different. I said, so I don't ever want you to feel bad because somebody called you something. I said, people call me, people call me things. Okay, and they not so nice with those B words. Okay, you know what I'm saying? They call me things all the time, and some of it's true. (laughs) So he, I mean, clearly he, he laughed too, but I was like, you know, don't ever feel bad because somebody calls you something i was like everybody has their thing that makes them different Uh i was like you're just different i was like all all autism makes you is different Uh and he just said okay i mean i don't want us to be pussyfooting around it and i don't want him to feel like we can't say the word yeah it's not shameful like it's it's a condition like knock it off so I just kind of like had to separate him from my mother and have that discussion with him. So I told her, I was like, yeah, me, him, me and him talked about it. Good. And he's okay. Good. And then when we were on our way back, he was telling me like something he was doing online. Like he has a whole like online life. I was yes. like, what? Yes, they are good with computers, technology, science, math, artistic. No, my nephew, my, my cousin's son is amazing with computers. Yes. But my nephew was just like he was explaining something he he has he has a YouTube channel and it was like James Bond something I was like what wow what, what, what is this did you do so I had to tell his father because <laughs> I'm like Yo, yes you got a teenage son now son you gotta like check on him yes check in on him like, yes and he was like I I I heard him say that like I heard 
mommy told me, but I didn't believe it. I was like, he told me all of like the intricacies of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, if anybody thinks this boy is dumb, y'all sleeping on him. Yeah, and that's the and that's the point. Like my son, he makes beats. He has his own SoundCloud mach- um, account. I buy him all types of instruments and beat machines, and he makes music. That is his twist right now. And so I just invest in that because I don't know where it's going to go. Now, a year from yeah. now, he may say it's something else, but it don't matter. I'm investing in it. Just trying to feed that speed. So, yes, you are correct. They need, they better get with it. He could be center, making a million. Yeah. And what I love about that situation, too, is... um you know, they're going to have their own lives. So when I see, like, Kyle Hughley on the Hughley show or, um, hold on one second, my alarm is going off. So, yeah, when I see, like, Kyle Hughley on the Hughley show or, oh, my God, uh, when Holly Robinson Pete used to have a show and yeah. she did an episode of her son getting his driver's license, <laughs> that stressed me the hell out. I was like, I was like, Nikita, that ain't show, baby. But she was like, you know, all these cops killing and killing black boys driving i was like no get him a driver you have money like, like you know just seeing them you know live their normal lives denim um tra- uh, tony braxton's son so just kind of seeing them be represented as like brown boys yeah yes. challenge being able to see them on tv mm-hmm. yes it really was yes Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree because we need more exposure to that. I have a friend down in Florida. Her, she has a daughter who's autistic, and it's even rare for black girls oh, yes. to be diagnosed in black yeah. boys. And so I'll, I'll like call her and 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 like talk to her about it. Like, how is it different? How do you feel it's different? Now, of course, she she has a son, but he's autistic. But I always just kind of like talk to her about it because it's even again, it's even rare with little black girls. So I'm always interested to see like how they vary and what is it you know what is it like and it may not be a difference across genders but i just always find it interesting my girlfriend has a child who was recently diagnosed and i think it is different okay okay. i think that black boys are characterized especially with the outbursts like i don't when my nephew used to have like his outbursts and like he would go get violent like he it was like he was an incredible hawk. I could not hold him down no, for that's anything true. in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't couldn't battle him and stop him. And my mother used to just be like, "Go close the door, mm. like just go close the door and let him like work it off." Be you're not gonna calm him down. Mm. Like it's not gonna happen. And so when when black boys have that outburst, we kind of expect it. Right. right, people look at our children as like bad and unruly and whatever. So boys will be boys, but when girls are not just cute and like, you know, well behaved or whatever because they have these emotional disturbances, people look at you like you're a bad parent. Mm-hmm. And not that that they don't feel that with boys. I feel like it's a little bit more expected with boys than it may be with girls who have autism, and because it is rare. 
I agree with that. I can see that. And I think boy, little boys, black boys especially, are kind of like ostracized already to kind of be like that violent, that aggressiveness. So if they exhibit it any kind of way, they won't kind of um, tie it to, you know, their diagnoses. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, I had only heard about autism when I was pregnant. What a what a wonderful time to hear about it. But I was reading uh, Mario uh, Puzo book. I think it was The Last Dawn. I'm, like I love him as an author. He wrote Godfather, uh, which is the the first big book I've ever read in my life. Okay, like Godfather. <laughs> Why I don't? We had it in the house. It was on the shelf, um, and I had never seen the movie either. This is like in high school, and I've never seen the movie, but I was like, I'm just read this book. But anyway, um, there was a character in it, and uh, she was a movie star, and her daughter was autistic. Mm. And the way that they talked about it in the book was like it was just a random thing that happened, and not a lot of people had it, and the girl was nonverbal. And I'm like sitting there pregnant, you know, when you're baking babies, you just feel like, oh my god, that's gonna be me. So it was like the first time I had ever heard of it. And so I was just like, you know, grateful that my kid was not born with any kind of challenges. Because, I mean, you 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 may be a wonderful mom, but I definitely wouldn't have had it. I wouldn't have had it if, I mean, at that point in my life to be able to raise a child with special needs. I mean, God, no, I wasn't equipped for that. And so... um. I wonder what the change is. I mean, it, I'm not sure if science is looking at why it's increased like that. But, I mean, that was 22 years ago. I had never heard of it before in my life. And now it just seems so pervasive. I really wonder what the change is. I know that, you know, clearly some of it's environmental. Yep, exactly. But I don't know what else could, like, be causing. Um. I would say it's a combination. Again, I'm not a science expert either, but I think it's a, a combination of age. Like, um, I wasn't a spring chicken when I had my son and nor was his father. His father is older than me. So I do think, like, as we age, as black women so um, and as black men, how we take care of ourselves and then kind of like our genes or any other predisposition conditions we may have that could tie apart into that again i'm no scientist but i just think like the older you do you or your spouse or the both of you all get up in age i think you run a higher risk on top of environmental things um where you can i believe that yeah where you can possibly have a child on a spectrum i can't confirm this but i i can just speak from again for me um and you know my experience so i do i definitely do think there's an age factor there and the environmental and then just be being predisposed to a lot of um genetical conditions that his father and i have from our fathers and mothers so um yeah that's what i would say um i i i can't say in my family it's genetic okay because we don't we don't have any um, outside of those two, and this is on my mother's side of the family. Um, we got a lot of crazy on my father's side, but that ain't got nothing to do with autism. Um, <laughs> um, but I do think that as you age, it, it is a it is a, a risk factor. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I also think too, 
that our children have been um, underdiagnosed. And so for a child, like I mentioned before, that may be ADD, ADHD, all along, they probably were just autistic. And they were just never taken into account when it comes to our black and brown children. I think white children were always properly diagnosed, but for us, it was always just behavioral issues. So it could be, you know, the opposition defiance and the ADD or the ADHD when, no, this person could very well just be autistic or on a spectrum. So I think a lot of that is kind of redeeming the children who were um, not properly diagnosed, too. And you know what? 50 years ago, we would have never known anyway because society would have hid these children away. Like, maybe not black children, but, you know, 50 years ago, they were putting the kids in homes they were. and stuff like they this. Were. They were. You are so right. They weren't properly treating them. They weren't integrated into society. People weren't like, oh, I'm going to take this, this child home. It was like a great family shame. It sure was. It sure was. Let alone if you came out, you know, with Down syndrome or any other type of um, physical ailments. Oh, yeah. You were put away. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you, Holly, for coming on. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the interview with, with Dr. Holly Sawyer. We're going to actually be playing part two of that interview next week. And it's it's I'm having a good time. I was gonna. I don't know what I was gonna say, but I'm really having a good time doing these interviews. If you are a therapist and you want to be on the show, make sure you hit us up at Black Therapist Podcast and sign up to get on our calendar. If you have already signed up to get on our calendar and we haven't done the interview yet, trust and believe. As soon as there's an opening the schedule, I'll get everybody on. I want to be a resource for not only clients who are looking for therapists, but therapists who are looking for clients. And so, um. Yeah, it's been another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Stay tuned.